The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Sunday, April the 12th. The Fujicast. It's Easter Sunday. It's a, an Easter Sunday special. There's something we never thought we'd say, Kev, eh? No, absolutely. Just happy like, Easter, everybody. Yeah, ha- well, happy. I'm not sure. See, I went to write Sam a card yesterday, and I went to write Happy Easter, and I thought, is that appropriate? Should we be writing Happy Easter on things? Why not? Yeah, well, that's what I thought. And then I then I thought, no, of course you should. Write Happy Easter, you miserable old git. And um, and, and wrote it. So, yeah, Happy Easter to you. That's, you be- that's what Gemma wrote on my card. Happy Easter, you miserable old git. <laughs> that's really funny how you knew that. Oh, look. Have you, um, have you e- eaten all the Easter eggs? Yet? I, last- I've eaten mine. <laughs> yeah, last year you managed to finish off the kids, actually, in a couple of days as well, didn't you? Yeah, but, well, that was before Easter, but yeah, they've yeah. still got theirs. All we right. got up early and hit them around the garden, yeah. and, and then chased the dogs around as they tried to dig them all up. I bet Git got to a few first. He did get to a few, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't oh. get past the silver wrapping though. No. Um, did this? Did, did digital Sunday mass work out? I'm, ass, um, I'm assuming. Yeah. Have you have you been to that then? Yeah. This, this, yeah, yeah. 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 We just left them. They're having a um, they're having a virtual coffee party. It's uh-huh. very 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 funny because <laughs> during the, during the service, it's, it's everybody's muted. Yeah. Um, and, and they just get on with it. And at the end. Uh, the priest said, "Right, I'm going to unmute you, unmute you all now, um, so we can have a virtual coffee morning." <laughs> and literally, it was like a cacophony of, of people, yeah. oh dogs barking, people sneezing. <laughs> like uh, it was, uh, I just exited straight away. It, it was, it was chaos, you, absolute chaos. You were off. Um, I did. I, I, but what? I'm, I'm careful how I phrase this. But but what conferencing system does God loosely, with a, a, a smaller G in this one, favour? Is it Zoom or? Yeah, they're using Zoom. They've okay. they paid for the Zoom thing. Um, I looked into doing the uh, Vimeo video on demand stuff for them, um, but that was seventy quid a month, and you had oh. to sign up for a year. Yeah, okay, so yeah, um, it was too expensive. But that would have been better quality, I think. By the way, the other day, Gemma sent me a picture of you attending a digital church service, and uh, I'm not sure you you realised she sent it. You had a can of beer on the go um, <laughs> as, you were, as you were watching the. The service. Are you supposed to be behaving like that, Mullins? Um, well, you know, d- times are, times are hard. Yeah. He'd understand. <laughs> I didn't know she sent that picture though. <laughs> she did. Yeah, it's quite good actually. It was it was ni- nicely framed. Everything. Uh, today, then, uh, we got a slightly longer interview with former combat photographer Gary Tyson, who is now Hong Kong's Fujifilm ambassador or ex photographer, and amongst other stuff, we're we're going to talk street. Gary is the man who knows a thing or two about shooting, photographically, that is, on the street. And now he's a trainer and a mentor too, and he, he shares some thoughts about how to interface with uh, folks that you make pictures of. I tell people it's 85% of it is about how you communicate with people, how you interact with people, mm. how you present yourself, how you gain their trust. And I think that applies whether you're in the military in the middle of Afghanistan or Iraq or somewhere, or whether you're in the streets of Manila talking to strangers or whether you're in the middle of London. So how you approach people and how you're perceived is going to either give you access or get you in trouble. Now, we talked about, or you talked about Street yesterday on the uh, the, the Fuji um, Fuji Love... What was it? What, what was Fuji the, Love uh, webinar. Oh, wait, oh, I thought there was a more official title to it. Just, just uh, oh, no, it was webinar. called the um, Stay at Home webinar. Stay, yeah, that's what, that was it. Yeah. It went well, I thought, didn't it? A lot, a lot of people turn up. What was it? Like, it started off about 900 people. I know, wow. Um, yeah, it was very good. Then you started I talking think, and a few went, I noticed. <laughs> a lot of people I'm left. joking, I'm joking. I had the obligatory person <laughs> moaning about the shape and colour of my teeth, of course. No, really? Yeah. 
Uh, get him off. He's got horrible teeth, he said. No, you're joking. Yeah, something oh. like that. So I, I saw that comment and I replied, you, my friend, are a, what did I say now? You, my friend, are a... Don't be rude. ...desperately unpleasant person. That was my reply. Well, yeah. I'd say that's tempered and tamed, really. Yeah. Tomash doesn't like swearing, I don't think so. No. I did, were, uh, were you able to thrust them out of the room if they did something like that? Uh, no, Thomas could, but I, I mean, bless him. He's, he's got eight, he's got 900 people asking questions yeah. and he's trying to deal with the six of us on the webinar. And, yeah. and when we were trying to share pictures, it, it, we found out how, as we were right in the middle of it that the, the platform he uses only allows six consecutive streams. Right. So when anybody tried to share their desktop, it would say not enough um, space on the stage. So oh, one of right. us had to leave. So he was, he was frantically messaging us on Facebook saying, Kev, can you get out and then i'll message you to come back and then raj can you get out and come back um and plus he had 900 people to contend with now that explains why sometimes i was thinking where's so and so gone now i understand why yeah all right i thought it was just good maybe git had poured some (laughs) beer over your your pc uh, desktop again like he did last week but obviously (laughs) not so I thought um, we're going to let Gary um, take um, take control in, in this particular episode for Easter Sunday. Um, but I thought we'd throw in a couple of street questions since it was mentioned on the webinar yesterday. And Gary, of course, is going to be talking about it in this episode. So here we go. Nanto Sealens, first of all, friend of the show now. Hello, boys. Hope you guys are holding up as we move into month 42 of our isolation. It does seem like that, doesn't it? Uh, I have a question. I asked on the Fuji Love webinar. Unfortunately, there wasn't enough time for all the questions, so I'm going to put it to you now, in particular, Kevin. Once this is all over and humanity leaves the confines of our abodes and we venture outside again, do you think this whole mess that we will have a lasting effect on street photography, in particular, the ability to approach strangers and ask them for their photographs? Do you think social distancing will leave a permanent level of wariness on people or will the passage of time help overcome people's fears? He actually has two theories on this. One depends on how long this lasts. Uh, the longer we spend isolating and having the message of social distancing bashed into us, the harder it will be for people to overcome their fears. The second is that people will be so desperate for social interaction, they'll be prepared to share more of their stories and literally be throwing themselves at you. It'll be kind of a, a renaissance of sorts for street photography. What do you think, Kev? Um, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I think that I think there will be a plethora, and I mean an absolute waterfall yeah. of um, blog posts, YouTube videos, documentaries on television. Um, you know how I got through the the, uh, the lockdown, and you know portraits of people, you know after and all that kind of stuff, and rightly so because that, it's a very important thing to to get the message out across. Um, however, when it comes down to street photography, I, I I don't think this will have too much of an impact in terms of people's personal um, expectations of what's right and what's wrong on the streets. You know, we're, once once all this goes away, the governments will still go back to you know trying to pin down the the um, the rights and you know stop people taking pictures and, and not so much the governments but the the people's um, mistrust of social media and you know this whole thing with zoom for example everybody's using zoom but you know the media immediately jumped on this uh you know is it safe to use zoom can zoom hack your computer yeah. and download you know stuff um, they sorted. You know, they sorted that out, though, didn't they? Yeah, of course they did. Because yeah, but it, the way the media approached it was was really. I mean, Zoom have been plodding along nicely for I don't know what. Let's just say ten years. You know, a, a kind of medium sized business. You know, um, dealing with enterprises and you know six people on, on a meeting and stuff. Then all of a sudden. 
2.4 billion people download their their application mm. uh you know and and of course there's going to be some vulnerabilities which they did deal with but the press don't see it that way they're like mm. if you're on zoom zoom can see into your lip zoom can get into your bedroom when you're not there zoom can look in your underpants drawer zoom can download pictures of your ex-wife onto your computer zoom can poke you in the eye from a distance don't use zoom zoom's can, bad can it really do all those things that's amazing i'm gonna order two of them <laughs> but it, it's crazy and and you know and and, and the press just that, that's that's what they do and you know, and, it's, it's, and that's be, and that's where the mistrust comes from so the people the general populace they have a mistrust of social media and stuff because uh you know and of course some of it is untrustworthy but generally the photographers aren't generally there is a you know huge asterisk caveat to that yeah. um so i don't think that will go away i think it will just get worse frankly isn't, um, sadly. isn't there an irony to people saying they're gonna tap you and listen to you and follow you uh, from the from the very organ not all the organizations but some of the organizations that were held accountable for phone tapping in the not too distant past to be honest absolutely yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I thought it was really interesting yes did you see the uk um uk briefing the press oh, briefing? i didn't see it yesterday no no um one of the journalists was from lad bible oh really <laughs> yeah a lad bible and um and the reason for that apparently w was laura kinsberg not available yesterday <laughs> lad bible right so listen to this and this makes absolute sense Go on. so lad bible kind of said uh, can we come can we come to your press briefing? Yeah. And, you know, of course, they were all like, what, what, what's led by? I don't even know what that is. Um, so so they sent them their, led by sent them their press briefing yeah. and said that um, 40, no, I think it's 56% of 16 to 24-year-old men mm -hmm. in the UK subscribe to Lab Bible. Is that right? Some, something wow. like 3.8 million. Basically, there's more people read the Lad Bible webpage, sorry, Facebook page alone, just their Facebook page, alone than consume all newspapers in the whole united kingdom on a daily basis so they were like if you really want to get this message across to the the idiots which generally are 16 to 24 year old lads who are you know out doing wheelies on their bikes and yeah. and you know having barbecues and doing raves and stuff like that then we should have something on our facebook page about yeah, it and we've yeah. got a greater reach than the, the daily telegraph or the yeah. sunday times and all yeah. that kind of stuff yeah. So there they were. I thought that was great. Lab I thought it was Bible. good that the government accepted them yeah. and, and also good for them for stepping yeah. up to the mark. Now all we need is the 16 to 24-year-old idiots to listen. <laughs> Are you listening, idiots? It's not only 16 to 24-year-olds, by the way. No, I know. Before you youth, youth. The youth of today. During the war. During the COVID war of 2020. Yeah. God, yeah. Well, that'll be you and I in the pub putting our... Put your teeth in, Kev. I want to say something. Don't mention the pub. It makes me cry. Oh, sorry. Don't I do apologise. Can, can you smell that carpet across the road right now? You can see it. Yeah. You can see it. They've got their curtains closed all this time, which is good. Uh, because I, I can't, it would be heartbreaking looking through the window. Oh, well, yeah. Hopefully they're not having lock-ins. That's why they've got it closed. I'm sure they wouldn't. Not in Upper Malmesbury. It's not that kind of place. You know, you know how stuff grows in carpets if it's left long enough? Oh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> What's your pub going to look like? I've seen I, that carpet. <laughs> I know some pubs where there would be all kinds of things growing in the carpets. Oh, do you remember that? Um, I, I don't know if you ever had this book. It was the, uh, what was it called? The Ultimate Revenge Kit book. Uh, do you remember the Ultimate Revenge Kit or whatever those books? I think it was called that. Um, mm, where, where, the book I had was how to be really nice to people. No, no, I had the ultimate revenge book. Sorry, <laughs> where one of the tricks within it was um, talking of carpets. If you really don't get on, I don't know why you'd have their key, but just run with me on this one. If you really don't like your neighbour and they've asked you to look after their house while they're away in Benidorm, 
um, then uh, sprinkle cress seed all over the carpet and then water it. And by the by the time they come home from Gatwick uh, in a couple of weeks uh, after you know sunbathing, they're going to find a beautiful lawn of cress all <laughs> across their front living room. Um, don't don't try that at home, kids. <laughs> when, when we um, just before the, the lockdown happened, I, I, we were planning on doing some stuff in the garden. So I ordered some seeds, some tomato seeds, some uh, aubergine seeds, and some mm, paprika seeds. Wow! And they were coming from Germany. It was like a big box. They were coming from Germany, and it was you know it was they, these were like the best ones, quite expensive and everything. And of course, so when the the, the lockdown hit, it, 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 it turned up like much later than we. I, I totally forgot about it in the end. So it turned up. And I thought, this ain't very big, is it? And and I opened it up, and it was a pack of cress seeds. That was it, <laughs> cress. Right. They totally got the order wrong. Yeah. I checked my order, and, yeah. and I'd ordered the right thing. They sent me the wrong thing. And I was like, cress? Well, like, cress, cress is about as useful as, like, dust. There, there's no point of cress. No, watercress is a whole big um, business around watercress. No, cress, just cress. Watercress is different. Watercress is that spicy one, isn't it? But cress. No, no, watercress is just the green cress, isn't it? I mean, it's just. No, there's one that's water. more spicy than the other. One that's peppery. Oh. One that's peppery and one that's not. Anyway, whatever. Cress. 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 <laughs> Who needs cress? Who needs cress? Ah, oh, humbug. Um, cress sandwiches. I did learn um, that the other. I, I, did we. Did the Brits invent the phrase social distancing? Who came oh. up with it first? Do you know? I mean, it's not a quiz question, but um, the only reason I mention that is because originally it was, uh, it, um, Sam told me this, and she knows everything, uh, that it was supposed to be called physical distancing. But the problem was the government didn't release it in time, and social distancing took over, which for them is a PR disaster, because we don't want to be, I mean, it's anti-social distancing, isn't it? We're socially distancing, when, when actually they wanted to call it physical distancing, so they didn't. They didn't have an emotive tag on it, mm. so we should. Yeah, be- I suppose, but it wouldn't have been here because they. they I, I remember them talking about that when they, they things like the Ebola virus and stuff like that. Oh, right. um, okay. They they used that kind of term, and might not not be the exact same thing. Oh, this sounds um, sounds. But like yeah, I mean, it yeah. makes sense that that they got it wrong. That yeah. definitely makes sense. Sam has obviously heard this. Re- maybe she read that in the on the on the online Daily Mail. I better check her history, make sure she's mm-hmm. not reading that rubbish. She's probably on that Bible. <laughs> probably. <laughs> And uh, Nanto did have um, a second part of the question. Finally, Kev, as someone whose job it is, uh, intensive care paramedic in Australia, hat off to you, Nanto. Uh, to be out in this hot mess society has become, I'm torn between a desire to document it when I get the opportunity or just keep my head down. How else will we will we have a document of the world outside? A penny for your thoughts on that one as well. Uh, mind you, there's a lot of pictures of... I mean, I could... On my, on my morning walk this morning, I, I essentially walked into the local town stroke village and it looked like a film set not one single person i know it's an early sunday morning but not one not one well yeah no absolutely i i um i've we've mentioned we've talked about this briefly in the past you know last couple of weeks this idea of taking pictures of it uh personally if i think i'm not sure what the the rules are in australia right now but here you should be outside for essential business only and i firmly believe that and let me let me you know and I, i've read as much as everybody else so i have the same kind of knowledge as everybody else but 
a fact is, you know, if you if somebody sneezes in the street and you don't see that and you walk into their plume of germs yeah. and then you go home and you wash your hands, but you've been photographing, you're going to wash your camera, you're going to stick your camera in the dishwasher. And it's your it's clothes gonna, as it's well. It's going to sit on your camera yeah. for days. And it's your clothes as well, Renan. Clothes, yeah. everything, you know, um, walk your dog, go to the shops, go home. Do you, um, do you, I mean, you called it the COVID dance, didn't you? Um, do the COVID dance, the yeah. COVID do the COVID dance. Having to, to, to cross the road. We're not doing the cycling thing anymore because, um, okay, great generalisation coming up, but the lycra-clad community... Um, <laughs> i just seen one go past my window. That was really funny. <laughs> I call if, them Wiggles Warriors. If, if, <laughs> if, you're in, if you're in their slipstream... Now, not everybody... Most cyclists are, of course, socially aware of this whole thing, but last week when we did the family exercise thing, we took the bikes out... Some guy was behind us on the towpath, went past us, huffing and puffing. And, I, mm. you know, I thought, just unnecessary, mate, really. Stop. Stop it. Um, and, and that, apparently, you're sitting in the slipstream and all their germs, horrible. So I know what you mean about photographing outside. You're right. You're part of the problem, probably, aren't you? I, well, it's it's what's left on your camera, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's it, people think, you know, and, and and I'm like, half part of me is is... Yes, I absolutely agree it should be documented. But the other half of me is leave that to the people who are being paid yeah. to do it properly yeah. uh, and will hopefully be, you know, be looking after themselves. Um, and absolutely, if your only thought is, this will look great, I'll get loads of likes on Instagram yes. for this picture of my yeah. town empty, Ooh. then don't. Just don't. Just don't. Just stop, stop it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did the jingle without me needing to do it. I've got another question here, but I might save it for tomorrow's show because – uh, the great god because of ba- I've got too angry today. That's what you're saying. <laughs> no, 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 no. The great god of bandwidth will will uh, slap me down by the end of the month if we if we, oh, yeah. if we or, or memory or, or storage or whatever it's called. Um, so I'm going to save. Uh, who was it? James James Parks. Um, we'll get to your question tomorrow. Nanto, you had the whole start of the show to yourself. Right, Gary Tyson. He's one of your brethren, Kev. He's mm-hmm. he's um, he's a, an ex photographer. Uh, with a big X, that is. Um, and, and I keep saying this, and I know I, everybody who knows Fujifilm doesn't need to know this, but pr- please appreciate we've got a whole load of other guys and girls joining us now that don't know the name of the uh, the scheme and are probably thinking, Kev's an ex-photographer, oh, that's a shame. But what does he do now, then? Is he become that postman he said he'd become? Well, that is true. I am a proper ex-photographer. <laughs> well, right yeah, we are at the moment, aren't we? <laughs> uh, so he's an ambassador. He's based in Hong Kong, although he's living at the moment out of the, the Philippines. Um, he's an ex-combat photographer, so, and he's just got lots of stories. He shoots commercial portraits, events, weddings, does it all. And I just thought it'd be really interesting to hear from uh, our man, in inverted commas, who's, uh, who's in Manila, who have a completely different lockdown to most places in the world. So this is Gary Tyson. Gary, you're a Fujifilm ambassador, one of the, the ex-photographers based across a large region, really, with your role, because I think you're, you're officially part of the Hong Kong setup, aren't you? That's correct, yes, as I was based in Hong Kong for many years after I left the UK. So I'm officially affiliated to Hong Kong, yeah. even though I'm now living in Manila. So, so how come you chose uh, Manila <clears throat> to live in, in particular? Um, I've worked in Manila and the Philippines many times in the past when I've been based in Hong Kong. And it's a great place. I recommend anybody who ever has the chance to come out here because everybody speaks perfect English. (laughs) Um, It used to be an American colony for a while. So English is the second language. Unfortunately, that influences the food, which is terrible. 
Okay. <laughs> but I've, I've, I've been here many times and then having lived in Hong Kong for more than 10 years and operating my studio out of there, as I'm sure you're aware, Hong Kong is a very expensive city yeah. to live. Yeah. Of course, there's a lot of opportunities there for work. But when you're spending, you know, five, six thousand US dollars a month on studio rents Heavens. and you're essentially a one man band running a photography company, you end up like a hamster on a wheel working your ass off trying to pay the rent. Mm. Yeah, a few things happened and then, you know, I was doing some work in, in the Philippines and then, you know, as my as my work spread in the sense of having clients around Asia, we work for some clients like Ducati who are in Thailand, based in Thailand, even though they're an Italian company. Yeah and other projects we've been doing around the world, it become less and less requirement to be based in Hong Kong. I wanted to stay in Asia, so Philippines was an easy choice for me, really. Cost of living here is much cheaper than Hong Kong. Um, I live in a really great condominium with pool and all the rest of it, gym, so y your quality of life is much higher for a lot less money. And do you, do you, have, a um, do you have a studio there as well? No. So I've kind of changed my business model slightly. I'm working more on projects and on my workshops. So essentially, I'm doing half as much work, but the money goes four times as far, yeah. if that makes sense. You know, since moving here, I've, I've took up diving as well. So I'm big into that now and can earn a little bit of money as a dive master here. Does that creep into your photography as well then? I mean, are you a dive master? But but obviously it's it's difficult to find people, well, qualified divers that are that are super photographers as well. I play with the photography underwater. I'm, I'm almost like relearning my craft because I only started doing the underwater photography about a year and a half ago. Yeah. So I, of course I've got all the gear. I went out and bought, you know, good cameras and naughty cam housings and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I have all the gear to do it, and I understand the concept of the photography and the lighting. But of course, when you're doing it with current underwater and all the rest of it, it's a whole different set of ball game. Yeah, I, I do it. I certainly don't teach photography underwater, not at this stage. I do that as a that's like my get getaway thing. I go diving, and I can do my photography and just completely disconnect from the real world. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, now we can't even go diving. Yeah, and to <laughs> talking of that real real world, I know you have to be careful, but of course, uh, the news coming from your part of the world. Uh, is somewhat different to the uh, the rules and regulations and, and the, the lockdowns, etc., that we're experiencing, um, certainly in the UK and, and parts of Europe and America. There's a, de a definite mm. hardline policy, I know, um, being taken out about curfews. But how's the lockdown working in your part of the world? And what's the situation like? What's the feeling like? Um, we've been locked down fully since mid-March, and it's now... What's it now? Nearly mid-April. So yeah. we're into week four of our full lockdown. Um, it started off very similarly to what you had in the UK, having talked to friends and my parents back home. You know, they started to try and get people to play along with social distancing and all the rest of it. The problem in Philippines and in Manila in particular, you've got Manila as one of the most densely populated cities in the world. You've got almost 20 million people in mm. a small city yeah. and you've got 110 million people in the country. A lot of them living below the poverty line and in areas where social distancing is not an option based on how they live, 10, 15 people to a room yeah. in some instances. Now, of course, where I live, I'm very lucky. I live in a, an area that's much more um, space and all the rest of it, but that doesn't apply to a lot of people. So when they initially started the quarantine, as they called it, it was quite loosely enforced, which I believe was the same with you guys. Um, okay, guys, you know, stay apart. Mm. If you go to a coffee shop, just get a takeaway. Of course, that just doesn't work in the real world. People just carry on doing what they're doing. It becomes impossible to enforce. So it quickly escalated into a full lockdown scenario 
where some buildings here are people are locked in the buildings they actually lock the metal gates on the outside of the condominiums oh, right. and don't allow people out of the buildings whatsoever unless they have a special pass which allows them to go to the supermarket once every few days and it's escalated to the point of full full curfews at I think it's 7 p.m. till 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. If you're seen walking around with no shopping bags, you'll be questioned. And the police initially were told, you know, you can arrest people for breaking quarantine. And, of course, there were some comments on the news, which you may or may not have seen, where uh, the president made a statement, which has been a little bit misinterpreted in the sense that it gave the police and the military permission to shoot people breaking quarantine. But it was misinterpreted because I think the situation was, or the the clarity of the statement was more about if you're assaulted by quarantine breakers and your life is under threat, then, of course, you can use maximum force. Yeah, there was a lot said about the shoot-to-kill policy in, in Western news, yeah. The media's, of course, hyped it out of proportion, of, as always. But the reality is, and you can find on the internet, at least one person has been shot and killed. Um, but I believe he assaulted, he assaulted some uh, police or military. The problem is you've got... So many people now that don't have any money, they're starving to death, basically. The sickness is spreading like wildfire. And it's like people are panicking and scared. Yeah. So, you know, when, when, when the police or the military are confronted with groups of people essentially kicking off, it's going to escalate very quickly into a nasty yeah. situation. As you said, you, there, there's, a, there's, there's a situation where you have to have a permit to go out. And it sounds to me like, mm. like you're being locked away. And those that don't have any money and no way to work... And, and live that hand-to-mouth life, um, then there, there's no way for them to, to be fed, is there? A- apart from accepting handouts. Yeah, well, the government's allocated a lot of money for, especially for the poor communities. I mean, I know some areas where they are doing food distribution. So people are locked in their houses 24-7 in some areas because they have cases in the distinct, what they're called barangays. Imagine like a small village, right. you know, where... You've got a community where they know they have infections, but lots of people living in per house. So they lock them in 100%, not allowed out whatsoever. And they drive past in little pickup trucks and they drop off food, you know, once a day or whatever. So people are getting fed. But of course, with this this volume of people, for sure, there's a lot that aren't getting fed because it's just an impossible mission. Yeah, I'm just lucky I'm not in that bracket yet as a, a photojournalist covering this area you'd, you, i suppose you'd like to be telling the story but uh, many have suggested photographers or news eng teams can just really add to the woe and and they they too should stay at home what, what do you think yeah i mean one of the problems here is because the the government is quite hands-on when it comes to the media access yeah so i have several friends who work in media and you know for news agencies And I think the way I believe it's happened now is their normal news agency access was basically revoked when the quarantine kicked in. And media entities had to get special permission from, I guess it's palace controlled uh, media outlet, you know, so essentially the government decides who is allowed to go out during the quarantine. That's the way I understand it. Mm. So for someone like me, even though I'm a full resident here as an expat, it's not even worth me bothering to try and get that pass because it's not going to happen. Well, let's talk photography. Not that there's a lot you can do right now, obviously, as, as we learn there. But it's been more, been more connected times, Gary. What kind of commissions and assignments and work kept you busy? Well, over the last few years, we've been doing a lot of foreign projects with sports photography. Yeah. Uh, last year, we were working in uh, Malaysia, Thailand, Bali, and uh, doing all this motorsports photography and video projects. Mm-hmm. 
And then we went off to Sardinia in Italy doing windsurf surfing projects. The year before that, we were in the States doing the world speed records in Bonneville Salt Flats. And, yes. you know, we were doing a lot of traveling. Yeah. Once I left the military, I ended up in Hong Kong. So a lot of my projects still, still orientate from Hong Kong, even now. Yeah. Now, Hong Kong, obviously, last year had all the protests again. This ended up with many events being canceled. Um, and things just basically taken a turn for the worse for about six to eight months last year in Hong Kong. So we lost a lot of our projects there. And then early this year, uh, we had a big volcano eruption here in the Philippines, yeah. just south of Manila. Yeah. Um, and things just kind of ground to a halt for several weeks. And then Corona st- appeared. And, you know, to put it bluntly, every single job and uh, workshop that I've had forecast since last December has been cancelled. Every single job. Yeah. Uh, my last jobs were Mongolia last November. I was traveling there, which was amazing, with the Eagle Hunters. And then the SEA Southeast Asia Games, which is like the Asian Olympics. I covered that for Getty, for Getty US, but here in, in Manila mm-hmm. and around the Philippines. So amazing jobs up until December, and then bang, and then game over. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I saw you and, had Mo- Mo- Mongolia yeah. on the list that you had coming up in November, I think, as well, didn't you? I mean, fingers fingers crossed, of course, <clears> restrictions will be lifted. Did, can you see that this work coming back? Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, I'm trying to stay positive about everything. So I, I understand that the whole world's in exactly the same situation. There's absolutely no point sitting here moaning about it. I'm fingers crossed. I think my workshop in November will take place. We may even end up with more clients because, yeah. you know, generally the people that come on the workshops are quite adventurous. So I'm hoping that that'll still keep the same kind of people who are motivated to just get out and explore, to travel to these places. How does the work go on for, for these uh, incredible courses that you have when, when they are on? I mean, I imagine there's a huge amount of work, Gary, that goes on behind the scenes, not, not least sorting or helping sort visas for some of these places and access. What I have is I have a small set of uh, people I work with, you know, like fixers, hotels, those kind of things. And I use the same the same people. I go to a location, do a, what I would call a recce, spend a week or two in, in, in country, organize my fixers that I can trust, um, organize the hotel. So I have all the logistics in place so that when I go in with, with a group of people from wherever they are from, everything should run really smooth. That's key. I mean, the photography takes care of itself. When you've got a group of six or eight people like-minded they want to go explore they want to do the same thing they want to talk about the same thing hang out and have a beer at night together that part is actually for me is not that difficult so as long as you have you know good hotel or everyone knows what they're doing where they're staying they're well fed they're well oiled as we say with a bit of alcohol every night (laughs) and uh, the transport's all organized because that's where the military side comes in I'm, i'm quite uh, happy doing that kind of organization and making sure things work yeah. streamlined and then the rest takes care of itself you mentioned the army you're, you're a fujifilm official ex-photographer <clears throat> now but um you you worked in the army you're a combat photographer for a while um what, what did uh, can i ask a kick question what what did you use in in the army which brand because i know the army did, nikon did they oh. is, is it all nikon in the army i think it still is now yeah. and when i was in the army it was all nikon for right. stills right and for video, I was actually using Canon right. when I was doing some video jobs. It's, I think it's still Nikon. I mean, like any photographer, they're probably tied in with all the lenses, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, they've got thousands of lenses. And that, and, and that was why I was intrigued because, of course, you learn with the army to, to trust your kit in difficult places. Pretty, pretty hard on kit, some of these places you've been to as well, I know. So I'd imagine changing your way of working <clears> wasn't, wasn't a flippant decision. Yeah, so when I, I'm a bit of a gearhead, to be honest. So when I, when I first moved to Hong Kong, 
at that point, the Canon 5D was the only full-frame digital camera. So I'd been using the Nikon D2X, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think D2X. I'm familiar. Which I, I yeah, think is still, I a, still yeah. a crop sensor. Right? Yes, it is. Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, so I was using that. So when I went to Hong Kong, obviously I had to hand all that gear back, much to my dismay. No freebies. So when I got to Hong Kong, I bought a full Canon uh, suite of equipment. And also I was doing a lot of video work. So the Canon 5Ds and their successors were quite useful for that. They were the main ones that brought it all to the fore. Then I got into, I used Fuji for a while because I like the street photography. So I started to use the smaller Fujis for that, a bit less in your face kind of thing. Yeah. I got into Leica for a while. Well, for many years until I ran out of money, <laughs> spend everything on Leica and old lenses and just horrible addiction that was. And then I went back to Fuji. Then when Fuji, actually, I spent another couple of years shooting on phase one, which yeah, was very expensive, sort of high, high end, mm. medium format. Mm. And then um, I ended up with the GFX somewhere down the line. And that's how I got involved with the Fuji guys in Hong Kong. Right. Um, so I kind of exclusively use Fuji for my travel and portraiture. And then for my sports work, I use all Sony. You know, it's probably the wrong thing to say in Fuji thing is I, I still use a Sony's for video. <laughs> I know we're brand agnostic uh, here. We, we, we do talk about, uh, we do talk about other brands as well. It's, it's, it's not a crime. Yeah. What actually is a, we've talked with army photographers before and, and they're, they're sometimes they're quite, um, loath to describe themselves as combat photographers. They say, well, I'm just having to be a photographer that's in a combat zone. But, but you're mm -hmm. very much described as a combat photographer. Is, is there a difference, Gary? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. It's like most photog most good photographers that I've met, like who are not military or whatever, they're quite humble. I don't, not, not a big fan of photographers who like to blow their own trumpet too much and right. just be like, oh, look at my stuff. It's amazing. I find that really repulsive. And I find when I speak to people about military photography, the first thing everyone asks is, oh, how many people did you kill? Or how many photos of dead people did you take? And all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm sure when you've spoke to people like Giles and all that, and this, you know, we've been to a lot of places and seen many bad things and all the rest of it. But I still see it as a just a photographer who's in the army working in those uh, combat camera. And it's called the combat camera team, which sounds great. It's kind of, you know, it's nice in, in the pub and you call it that. It sounds great. But it's not something we really glamorize too much. It's something it's, you know, if that makes sense. From, from my understanding, really, really with um, combat crews, I mean, you have to be exceptionally good, an exceptionally good people person. You almost turn into um, into a PR photographer in some respects. Not not that you're taking images that are going to be used for PR purposes, but but you are very much fa face, obviously, of, of the army before they even meet the army sometimes. Yeah, I think that's a that's a trait that goes along with any photographer who works in that industry or in news or journalism or if you're a people photographer i mean my my favorite thing to photograph is people portraiture you know when i going back to the workshops when we teach that style of photography i tell people it's 85 percent of it is about how you communicate with people how you interact with people mm. how you present yourself how you gain their trust and i think that applies whether you're in the military in the middle of afghanistan or iraq or somewhere or whether you're in the streets of Manila talking to strangers, or whether you're in the middle of London. So how you approach people and how you're perceived is going to either give you access or get you in trouble. So I think, you know, being a good people person or trying to have empathy with your subjects is a very important mm. skill to try and to get. Some people just don't, don't have it. Some people can't get it. You know, I've took photographers on workshops that are amazing wildlife photographers for example absolutely amazing but they really don't enjoy interacting with people 
and that's no that's no big thing it's just like okay so you're more into this one that's you've recognized that you've tried it and you're more into that so that's fine but you can't force it you know if you're not if you're not good at communicating with people you might have some issues in any industry where you have to deal with people i think and good street photography is not necessarily about standing and 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 you know, somehow <clears throat> snapping a picture without people being aware often you are actually interacting with people whilst you take the shots i saw a wonderful thing of don mccullin doing just exactly that that he would he would he would actually meet their eye and it almost beckoned some permission sometimes um and he was extremely humble about that yes uh it's a no it's a whole other i mean you could talk for hours about these purists that say what street photography is and isn't and all the rest of it and i've had countless arguments and discussions about what is and what isn't and people saying to me you know oh, you took a portrait the guy's looking at the camera you know that's not street photography whatever it's like yeah I'm very much of the, I mean, I, sometimes I like to go out and just take very candid stuff. And I, I love looking at that stuff as well. It's great. And especially when it's got a humorous aspect, but I'm very much into the whole thing of interacting as well and trying to get behind that sort of mask and trying to get the permission and all the rest of it. So for me, it's not really photography or street. It's just photography, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, and it might very much depend on my own mood. If I'm in a sort of grumpy mood, I'll just go out and take stuff without permission quietly from a bit more of a distance. Other days I'll engage people and take a very different style. Sometimes I'll even take lights and set up lights and do portraits in the street with lights, like make it look like a studio, do all that kind of stuff. Wow. It just depends. Does that draw people into you then? I, I suppose that, that sort of human, <clears throat> you know, intrigue. What's going on there? I want to be a part of that. Very much so, yeah. I mean, we used to do it a lot in Hong Kong for Halloween because they have big street parties. Yeah. So we would take a, a light and a backdrop. The police at first would be like, what are you doing? Once they saw it, we'd get pictures with the police and all the rest of it. <laughs> and everyone loved it. And we always have the, the Fuji Instax is probably, I always joke to people, it's the people say to me, oh, you use the big expensive cameras. I'm like, no, the best camera you can buy for if you want to interact with people is a Fuji Instax wow. because then you can give them an image directly. So you're actually not just taking, taking, you give them an image. And then, you know, that gives you access because you're giving back a physical thing. Um, and I find no matter where I travel, my Instax goes everywhere. And that I find is better than trying to buy permission or it's a really cool thing to do. So we do that with, with the lights and then we give them that and it's like friends for life. And I, I've met people go to Cambodia three years later and somebody comes running out of a little hut in the middle of the countryside with this picture they've gave them years before wow. pressed against their chest showing you it in pristine condition fantastic this almost brings you to tears it's like they really really love it so i think that's a probably a top tip for anyone doing travel is get yourself an instax yeah. give you, people prints are you talking about the instax printer or the actual camera i mean i've got the little printer that i take around with me sometimes i have both yeah either or i have the, i have one of the instax cameras where you can select which ones you print on yes. the back i can't remember yeah. the name of it yeah. so the old the old ones everything was printed so you kind of get a lot of wastage the newer ones you can select which ones to print you can even edit them on the back of the screen before you print them which is pretty much the same as the little printer does what a great bit of advice um just finally we've been talking a lot about this it seems on the show of late where photographers gary may need to to think about embracing more than just one genre to pull themselves out of this drought of work i mean your commercial your sport your portrait your street your travel your event i mean i've seen weddings in there as well how important do you think it is is that that breadth of work to a photographer now to to move forward yeah i think everybody's got to remain flexible open-minded um i mean we we cover like you said a large genre of of subject matter from sports and all that a big part of the money i earn is also through video editing 
and video shooting. And I luckily I have a network of guys based in Hong Kong, here in the Philippines and back in the UK, where I can get people to go and shoot events and I do the edits myself. So in, I'm actually doing a big project at the moment for Lidl from Hong Kong, Singapore and Germany, where I'm editing the video here at home, which works perfect. Um, so yeah, we all need to really think very long and hard about how we come out of this. People who are one trick ponies who are just a you know just one thing they do like weddings for example they might struggle i guess in the immediate future at least yeah. who knows i mean we just nobody knows it's it's a really scary time for all of us I mm. think. It's, uh, it is uh, it's interesting that you're you're actually editing uh, work for other people you you've you've not, have you commissioned these or or actually they've already been commissioned but you're a freelance <clears throat> editor instead of so it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a massive string to your bow gary isn't it yeah i mean so, some projects uh, are like that um, I just did one a few days ago for IBM, which was they just asked me to edit some video messages they'd shot for COVID-19 for their staff. So I get to edit all that, put it, you know, make it a little bit more sexy so that they can right. publish it on their server. So that was one where I just edit somebody else's work. Well, best of luck, Gary, as we, as we, as we move forward now. And I, I certainly am touching wood that you will be in Mongolia in November, and I'm sure you are too. Yeah, I'm v- very hopeful for Mongolia. And if anybody's listening who fancies a trip, let us know and we'll sort you out. <laughs> My hand is up. <laughs> I just got to uh, find out. That's great. Got to work out how to pay for things now, Gary. That's the next problem. <clears throat> oh, well. Well, you, you, need, you, need a, you need to spend a lot of money on warm kit. That's the first problem because yeah. I went last year and it was minus 30 degrees the whole time. My word. So, yeah, yeah you need your warm kit's probably the priority. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not not sure if the virus can survive in that temperature. I'm not sure anybody can, <laughs> Gary. Uh, b- yeah. Best luck and, and thanks so much for talking to us. Thanks, Neil. My thanks to Gary Tyson for his time on the show today. Do not forget all the uh, details and the links that you need for Gary and his work will be in the show notes, which you'll find on the website, all the W's, fujicast.co.uk. And of course, if you look within your app, you will see that the uh, the links are there as well. Kev, that's it for Easter Sunday. What <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stop saying, what are you doing now, Kev? <laughs> Staying. Staying in. Yeah. Uh, are you, um, do you do anything special food wise? On I mean, obviously you don't do the lamb anymore because uh, because well, you generally it's, yeah, against. it's ah. not a lamb. Must get a sheep. It's in the it's in the, it's in the kitchen, um, slowly roasting as we speak. Is it? Um, I'll just have exactly the same, but without the without the lamb. Well, you just have the lentils to go with it, or something, or <laughs> not, or the veg, or whatever you're. Serving. It's not difficult to ignore <laughs> the meat. Although I have to say, um, I've done very little exercise. I've eaten oh. way too much. I've drunk way too much. Um, I've receded on the cheese bit. I've kind of fallen <laughs> back into the cheese trap, which is definitely not vegan. Um, no, but I, I've not. No, hang meat. on. You're not vegan. You're a plant-based diet. Oh yes, you tell me off every time for that. Yeah. So, so and also my Easter eggs. <laughs> so do you fancy bacon butty now then? No. no, I don't. I actually don't. I still don't have any kind of. No, still, don't. fish finger sandwiches are the only things that that kind of make me. Uh, what's the word? Masticate. Well, on that <laughs> note, <laughs> on that you'll go blind. On that, on that, on that note. Uh, bye bye. <laughs> the FujiCast is an independent loading zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives, who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.